thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker, Rod Hall. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Well, good evening, everybody. It's a pretty clear choice, fear or love. And I would really, uh, I think it's true to say that we live in a time of fear in our culture. And it's not necessarily a fear of an invading force uh, or a world takeover like we saw in the world wars. It's the generalized fear that is ramped up even more and more because of it, it's, uh, it's in our face all the time. It's social media. It's regular media. Everywhere we look, we see people who are afraid. And as that little video pointed out, we can either choose fear or we can choose love. You know, we are afraid of COVID. We're afraid of the economy. All you got to do is drive past the gas station right now, right? The environment. No wildfires out west. We're afraid of our future. We're afraid of our children's future and what it holds for them. We're afraid of spiders and snakes and heights. There's all kinds of things that bring out fear. And sometimes fear can be healthy. I mean, if I'm walking down a path in the woods and I hear a rattling noise, I'm going to stop and probably go the other way. So, so fear has some benefits to it. I don't want to get bit by a rattlesnake, okay? But what does fear in general do to us? When we allow fear to just kind of creep in to several different aspects of our life, I, I believe it can be detrimental. It can be deleterious to us. It can make us foggy. You know, fear causes parts of our brain to really amp up in other parts of our brain to kind of slow down a little bit. In the areas that deal with reasoning and judgment can really become impaired. This afternoon, I performed my very first wedding. And people were asking me leading up to today and even today at the church, hey, are you afraid? Are you nervous? And I was like, no, I think I'm doing okay. I mean, I wasn't afraid. I didn't have fear because it was the church that I grew up in as a, as a child. I, I didn't have fear because I, it, it was my father-in-law who was getting married to his fiance. You see, my mother-in-law, she died a year ago uh, after a five-year-long battle with dementia and diabetes and finally COVID. She passed away. Now, she, she was a godly woman. And I have no doubt where her eternal destination is, and that she's with Jesus right now. And the bride has been a very longtime friend of mine, and her husband, he passed away a little bit more than a year ago. And I have been on several missions trips with this couple. I have known them. I've played church softball with them, church leadership. I mean, I, I know this couple. And, and the, the husband who had passed away, he was a dear friend of mine. And so I wasn't 
afraid because of the people who were getting married. I was very comfortable with them. But there was one thing that was one little nagging fear. And when we talk about how fear can make your mind a little foggy, the one nagging fear was that I would mess up and use the wrong name for somebody. In other words, my mother-in-law who passed away, she went by Dolly, okay? The husband who passed away of the bride, his name was Bill. My father-in-law is Paul, the bride is Bonnie. If so, I think being wise with the notes I prepared, every time there was a place for a name, like the vows or the exchange of rings or whatever like that, I'd make sure the names were in there and not just a blank. Everywhere except the welcome. So the music starts for the processional or whatever, and I come walking down first, and I stand up and kind of behind the microphone here. Then the uh, best man and the maid of honor, they come walking down, and then my father-in-law and his bride, Paul, and Bonnie, and they come up, and I said, "On you know, we want to welcome everybody here. Please be seated." And I went to say, "On behalf of," in my brain, telling me, "Say Paul first, and then Bonnie." So I started to say Bonnie, and then my mind said, "You're supposed to say the guy's name first. And Bonnie starts with the letter B, and Bill starts with the letter B. <laughs> And I said, on behalf of Bill, and oh my gosh, the look of absolute horror on Bonnie's face when I said, you know how in the movies when things that take me two seconds are stretched into like 30 seconds into slow motion, and I felt like it was great, Bill. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I said, I'm not that guy who just did that. And fortunately, got chuckles out of the audience, and I... You know, I, I got back into it, and quite frankly, the rest of the wedding ceremony went perfect. It, it, it was just right, but oh my goodness, you know, and so sometimes fear can cause some fogginess up here, and I, I didn't think I was that afraid of using the wrong name, but that's the way it happened. You know, at, at its worst, like I said before, fear can be debilitating. It distracts us. It can paralyze us. It can cause us to feel defeated. It can rob us of our joy, and it keeps us from carrying out the mission, really, that Jesus Christ commissioned us to do. You know, I've been coaching for about or close to 30 years, and yeah, I, I've seen a lot of different things in athletics, and one of the things I can always tell is when a player is afraid to lose. And they play not to lose instead of playing to win. And these things I was just talking about, the paralysis, the, the debilitating effect, the distraction, you, you see it start to happen in, in these athletes because they're afraid of losing more so than desiring to win. But for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not called to live in fear. And if we do, that's going to rob us of our opportunity to carry out the mission that Jesus Christ wants us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, God's word does not shy away from encouraging us not to give in to fear. We see fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Be not dismayed. You know, these are similar words of of encouragement to not fear are found throughout the Bible. There's probably two or three hundred times that, depending on the phrasing, that we see these exhortations to not be afraid. And in reality, a lot of fear boils down to just not knowing what the outcome is going to be. You know, a lot of times we tend to want to know everything that's going to happen. We want to know that the outcome is going to be okay. I I used to watch a lot of Cleveland Browns football. I'm just not that interested anymore, I'll admit. But I used to watch a lot of it. But I was a very fair-weather fan, and I was set up the TiVo or the the VHS to record the game or I was doing other things. And then if I find out that the Browns win, I watch it. If they lose, I save myself three hours of agony. Now that is a fair weather fan. I mean, I will never win the fan of the year award. But that's just, you know, I wanted to know the outcome. I I guess I just didn't want to be anxious about what this football team was going to do. But we do get anxious when we don't know what's going to happen. You know, students, they they fear tests because they don't know if they're going to pass them or not. People fear liking someone else because they don't know if they're going to be rejected. We fear illness because we don't know when or if we're ever going to get better. We We fear failure, rejection, and ultimately, the greatest fear is that of death. It's a very real fear for many people because for many people, especially obvious those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, what comes after that last breath is a big mystery to them. And so they fear death. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we know what awaits them. It is an eternity with our Heavenly Father, with our Savior in heaven, where we will, as the Bible tells us, not have any more tears, and we won't have any more fear. So what do we do about all this fear? Well, the key, obviously, is to look to God's Word. And so I would invite you tonight to uh, open up to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John. We're going to be in Romans a little bit in the Gospel of John. But the first verse we want to look at is found in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 18. And we read the following about what God wants us to know about fear. 1 John 4, 18 starts off like this. It says, there is no fear in love. So right there we see that fear and love are incompatible. Okay, they, they're, they're, they repulse each other. Okay, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so we want to explore a little bit this whole idea of perfect love and how does it cast out fear. You know, love is an active ally in our lives. Love wins over fear every time. And, you know, I know my own uh, life with uh, my wife Donna. You know, if, if she is going through an anxious time about something, She knows that she can come to me and talk about it with me without any fear 
of, uh, of me condemning her or just, you know, saying, oh, that's nothing, you know. She knows that in love, I am going to listen to her anxiety. And, she, and I know the same thing, that I can go to her and talk to her about something that perhaps is troubling me. And this is because God is the author of love. God is the author of love. If there were no God, there would be no love in this world. And if we look two verses earlier than the one I just read, we read the following in 1 John 4.16. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You know, that's such a basic truth, but it gets overlooked so many times because uh, people who, who are outside of the faith, who do not follow Jesus Christ, their picture of God is of this, you know, mean, angry person, or perhaps at best just this distant God who really is not involved in our lives, and they couldn't be further from the truth. We see here that God himself is the author and creator of love. God is love. And it says to believe, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The Bible says that love is of God and that God is love. In other words, love is an essential quality of who God is. And you think about that for a second. God's nature, God's character, and we will never be able to wrap our minds completely around who God is because God is God and we are not. But one of the things that we can really identify with here is that God is a God of love and that God is love. And everything that God does in your life and everything that God does in my life is motivated by love, by his love for us. And yes, that even means trials and problems and tribulations that come our way that God allows to come into our life is motivated by God's love for us because God knows exactly how we need to grow and which areas we need to grow. And because he loves you and because he loves me so much, he is willing to allow us to go through tough times so that we can grow into the men and women and boys and girls that God wants us to be. You know, agape love is often talked about as a specific kind of love that, that God displays. It's, it's compassionate. It's generous. It's unconditional. It's a love that God has for all of mankind. And in the Greek, it, the word agape refers to a generous and a compassionate love and check this next part out, that seeks the best for the person that God loves. I absolutely just really enjoy reading that part and, and holding on to that, that God wants the best for me because he loves me. It's not that God is saying, well, Rod, uh, you know, I'm going to let you go for a while. I'm not going to really be all that involved in your life. I'll come back around to you later. No, God is 24-7 involved in my life and involved in your life. 
because he is a God of love. So when John writes in verse 18 that perfect love casts out fear, what exactly is he saying? Let's go back to uh, 1 John 4, 18. It said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The context here is really important, and we need to back up one more verse. To go back to verse 17, where it says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 17 tells us how to have something that everybody wants to have, and that is love. We can have confidence, it says, for the day of judgment. Love is perfected with us. And verse 18 tells us how to get rid of something that everybody wants to get rid of, and that's fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So listen to this quote from Elizabeth Elliot and see how it ties in with what John is saying here about fear and love. Now, if you don't know who Elizabeth Elliot was, uh, she was a missionary uh, to indigenous people in Ecuador. And uh, back in the 20th century, uh, her husband and some other men were trying to make inroads into the Aka uh, people group. And they were martyred. They, they lost their lives uh, because they, they were killed by this people group. They, this people group didn't trust them. But Elizabeth Elliot went on to become a missionary and served for two years directly with the same people who killed her husband and other missionaries. So here's what she says. She says, if you believe in a God who controls the big things, you have to believe in a God who controls the little things. It is we, of course, to whom things look big or little. So in other words, nothing is too big for God, and nothing is too little that God is not concerned about it either. And because God is a God of love, and because love is perfected with us, and because we can have confidence for that day of judgment that it speaks about in verse 17, we do not have to fear because perfect love casts out fear. God's perfected love casts out the fear of judgment. Now, the fear that perfect love casts out is this, this, this godly judgment that we know that Pastor Kurt has been talking about when, when we... Uh, when, when he comes back, when Jesus comes back and he raptures the church and then we have the tribulation and then after seven years, Jesus is the second coming and he reigns for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand years, we know that we have the battle of Armageddon and we know that Christ is going to be the ultimate victor. After that, the Bible talks about judgment day. Judgment day. And what we're seeing here is that God is saying, look, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you put your trust and faith in Christ alone, you do not have to fear God's judgment. We know that judgment day is coming, but we also know that if we are alive in Christ, that we do not have to fear that judgment. The love of God 
drives away fear of condemnation and saves us from condemnation. The dismissal of the fear of judgment is one of the main functions of God's love. You know, so if you have come to that place in your life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you know that you belong to God, the Bible tells us, look, there's no more condemnation for you. You've repented from your sin. You've asked for forgiveness from your sin. Stop living in the guilt that Satan wants you to live in because of that sin, because my love, God says, has taken away your judgment. The Bible talks about being made righteous, that being made justified. Pastor Kurt has told us that being justified means just as if I never sinned. And because of God's love and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, which, by the way, is the greatest example of God's love ever. But why is there judgment? You know, people say that all the time. Why are you Christians always talking about judgment? I thought your God was a God of love. He is. Our God is also a God of justice. He is a loving God. He is a just God. And we see in Romans 3.23 why there is going to be judgment. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Judgment exists because everyone who has ever lived has sinned, starting with Adam all the way through history. The only person who walked the earth and never sinned is Jesus Christ. All has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what does that last part mean? What does it mean he falls short of God's glory? Well, it means to miss perfection. The glory of God, God's perfect standard, is to never sin. And none of us can stake a claim to that. We have all fallen short of that perfect target that God had for us of living a sinless life. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here we see that sin comes with a cost. And those who are judged after that thousand-year reign of Christ, when Judgment Day comes, and those who are found to have died without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that there is a payment for that life of sin that they've never been redeemed from, and that payment is death. You might say, well, yeah, we all die, but the death here is also talking about a spiritual death a death that means you will never, ever be in the presence of God if you die in your sin without Jesus Christ in your life. John 3.18 goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is, all, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so what we see here is that unbelief equals condemnation. But at the same time, belief in Jesus Christ, accepting the free gift of salvation, accepting the free gift of forgiveness, having that peace, that daily walk with God once you accept Christ, that promise of eternal life equals a life free from condemnation. And so I don't have to worry 
about God bringing up to me my past sin. The question is, why do I keep bringing it up? And we do that, don't we? There's sometimes we just can't quite get over that sin that we did, even though we know we've been forgiven of it. And, and that's Satan working on us because, like we saw earlier, fear paralyzes. Fear debilitates. Fear makes us foggy. And fear comes from not allowing yourself to feel the forgiveness that God has for us. There is good news, of course, Romans 8.1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are here in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not condemned. Your slate is wiped clean. The Bible says you're going to be given a new name, a new garment, you're going to be a new creation in Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ do not need to fear condemnation. Love wins. So let's take a look at the application of tonight's message. You know, part of understanding the love of God is knowing that God's judgment fell on Jesus at the cross so that we could be spared. Jesus suffered the wrath of God. Jesus suffered God's separation so that we wouldn't have to. It was the ultimate expression of God's love for us. And the only person who must fear judgment now is the one who rejects Christ. And you think about the two thieves on either side of the cross. One thief is mocking Christ, rejecting Christ. The other thief is saying, look, this is the Lord. We deserve to be here, but he doesn't. And he asked Jesus to remember him. And Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. And that thief no longer had to fear judgment or condemnation. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that there is nothing that can ever separate us from God's love. No bad thing you've ever done, nothing that's going on in your life, no, no thoughts that Satan wants to whisper into your ear about how you really can't be forgiven by God. Nothing exists that can separate us from God's love. It's unconditional. That means it's not up to us. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. We can't make God love us any less, and we can't make God love us any more. And I would challenge you, if you're a parent here tonight, that you would live that out in the lives of your children. I, uh, you know, I've got four boys. A while back, one of them got into some pretty serious trouble. And I was talking to him, and of course, he was very upset. And he was, you know, just, I, I think he was wondering if I could ever really accept him again. And I said, look, I said, there is nothing you could do as going to make me love you any more as your father, and there's nothing that you can do that is going to make me love you any less as your father. I said, I love you unconditionally, and that's the same way our heavenly father loves us. I don't care what it is that anybody in this congregation has ever done in life, and in a group this size, it's pretty easy to figure that there's been some serious sin 
in our past that has gone on. But if you are here tonight and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to live with that guilt anymore. Jesus Christ has taken care of it on the cross, and Jesus suffered God's wrath for our sin so that we would not have to. That's what is unconditional love. God's love for sinners is why Christ died on the cross for us. God's love for those who trust in Christ is why he holds us in his hand and promises never to let us go. And that is why God's love drives out all fear. You know, if you and I could truly embrace this truth of what God's love is, you know, why he loves us, how dearly he loves us, fear would never have a stronghold on us again. That call from the doctor might be alarming, might be serious, but if we hold on to God's love, we don't have to fear. Boss tells us to come into the office. He wants to talk with us. That could be alarming. That could be serious. But if I allow God's love to be preeminent in my life, I don't have to fear. God's love will win out. Think about your fears, success or failure, stable family or broken home, rejection or acceptance by others, good health or disease. God's love covers all of these. And the key to overcoming these fears is a total and complete trust in God. To trust God is to refuse to give in to fear, even in the darkest times. 1 John 4, 17, we've seen this verse earlier. Let's go back to it. It says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, and that he, of course, is referring to Jesus, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Just as Jesus is in this world, so the believer is. What does this mean? Well, it means by loving others, we can demonstrate Jesus' love to them. We don't have to fear. We can enjoy God's love. We can live it out by serving others. You know, we think about the, the, the fall fest and all the people who came, over 700 people. What they saw was Grace Chapel saying, we believe in God's love, not fear. And because we're going to act out what Jesus would have us do in life, what Jesus modeled for us in life, is we're going to serve our community. We're going to serve the people who live around us here, and we're going to show them firsthand what God's love really looks like so that they too can understand that they don't have to be afraid anymore. Jesus served, he taught, he prayed, he fed people, he healed people, he, he preached to people, and ultimately he gave his life for the world. That is a powerful example for you and for me of how we are to live out our life. Again, returning to 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I want to dwell on that word perfected for a second. It's important that we understand this because this is different from what most people think about when they hear the word perfected. Uh, Most people, when they say something has been perfected, it means it has changed from a state of flawed imperfection into a state of flawless perfection. But the Greek word that John uses here, teleu, it does not usually mean these ideas in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word generally means finished or completed or accomplished. When something like a trip or an assignment attains its goal, it is said to be teleu or perfected. So in these verses, perfected love is not a flawless love. Perfective love is when you don't just talk about the need to share Christ, we actually do it. It's when we don't just talk about the need to feed the hungry, we actually go out and feed the hungry. It's when you don't just talk about uh, helping, you know, floundering new believers, we actually go out and disciple people to become more and more mature. That is what perfective love looks like. So let's go ahead and park the car in the garage here. Uh, At the end of the video, we saw a reference to Isaiah uh, chapter 41, starting in verse 10. And I would just like to leave you with these few verses here. Now, you might say, well, Rod, this passage, you know, it's really God's promise to the people of Israel. And it is. It's God telling the people of Israel, hey, here's my plan for you. Here's what I have in store for you. But I know this, that our God, the Bible tells us, does not change, that his promises of old are still promises for today. And so we can can hear and read these words, and we can claim them and say, you know, God, I believe that just as you protected your people in Israel, you want to protect me, because the Bible tells us that God has what's best in mind for us. So let's take a look at these words. Isaiah 41, starting at verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not, dismi- be not dismayed, for I am your God. I, I love that declaration. Is, I, I just feel like God's talking to me there. Says, Rod, I'm your God. There, there's no one else. You don't need anybody else. I'm yours. It says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Promise after promise after promise. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. And here's where he closes. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, don't be Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.